0: Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today has been a highly successful lawyer with the U.S. Coast Guard and the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, prior to her being diagnosed with a chronic illness, chronic pancreatitis. Doctors told her that there was no cure for pancreatitis and that she would have to focus on a long-term pain management plan. She retired from the federal government and began a high-level opiate regimen, trying to maintain some sort of semblance of normalcy. And then she turned to cannabis as a healthier p- pain management option. And through that experience, decided to dedicate her career to the cannabis industry in an effort to help others. La Heiss, welcome to Let's Be Blot with Montel. Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me, Montel. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Look, before we delve into cannabis, let's talk a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Where'd you go to college? Those things.
1: Sure. Um, I grew up primarily in the Washington, D.C. area, so somewhat of a political animal, as you will be if you live in Washington, D.C. I went to the University of Maryland for my undergrad, and then I went to Catholic University in D.C. for my law school. Um, Great area. Fun to live in. Absolutely. And and what were you what were your plans? I mean, when you
0: graduated? I mean, I know you went to work for the Coast Guard and the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, but but what were you thinking about when you were young? What did you want to do? Politics?
1: I really thought I would either end up running a government agency or in some type of political appointee position, maybe an ambassadorship. Um, but in the conservation space, doing marine mammal protection, continuing to do commercial fisheries um, conservation and things like that. Um, but life does not go as we plan, does it?
0: No, I mean, what, and what brought you to the U.S. Coast Guard? That's really interesting.
1: I was very lucky. I had an internship at um, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration during law school. And at that time, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration was handling all of its own cases. And what happened was the U.S. Coast Guard's chief administrative law judge was a real visionary. And he believed that you should have a completely separate administrative court for administrative law, and that the judges should have the opportunity to hear multiple types of cases, unlike it is now. Right now, you have um, judges sitting inside of these agencies, and they only hear Department of Labor cases, or they only hear Social Security cases. And he thought that the judges could be more engaged and more well-rounded if he started to build an organization or pool cases inside of the U.S. Coast Guard. And what happened was we transferred the NOAA cases to the Coast Guard. Um, but we also did Department of Labor. We did patent and trademark. And we created a, multi- a memorandum of understanding with a multiple agencies who had lower case loads that did not want to carry that burden of all of the judges on their payroll. And we did them through the U.S. Coast Guard. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Wow. And then um, just talk to me about, well, when did you start noticing something was wrong?
1: So, I mean, I started to know notice issues with my stomach and just generally not feeling well all the way back in college, like ni- late 1980s, 1987, 1988. Um, was diagnosed with multiple things, irritable bowel syndrome, um, stressful stomach, nervous stomach, anything that's basically in your head instead of actually in your body, Um, and struggled with that until about 1994, which is when I got married and also graduated from law school, and they took out my gallbladder. That was the first thing they started to take out of my body um, in an attempt to figure out what was going wrong, and when they took out the gallbladder, in fact, they told me there was nothing wrong with it. They said, you're having pain. We don't know what's wrong with you, but there's nothing wrong with it. And 24 hours later, I was back in the hospital with a severe case of acute pancreatitis. um, And they ended up taking the gallbladder out and assumed that that would heal it. But then between 94 and 2001, when I was finally diagnosed, I was in and out of the hospital with chronic pancreatitis. And they were sticking cameras down my throat to try to figure out what was wrong. And they just... They couldn't figure out why my pancreas was acting the way that it was.
0: And, you know, we, we know that pancreatic cancer is probably one of the most virulent and worst forms of cancer you can get. And pancreatitis is, is no joke either. I mean, really, what were kind of like, what was the prognosis when they told you you had chronic pancreatitis?
1: It was not good. It was uh, go home and take care of your kids who were 18 months old at the time that I was diagnosed. And you probably won't live more than five years.
0: I mean that must have been tough uh, during gestation while you were carrying your children uh, dealing with the pain that you had to go through right
1: um it was and i was i had a complicated pregnancy i ended up having help syndrome which is high elevated liver low platelets so your your liver kind of fails and your um and your you start to bleed out internally. And I I went into labor with the girls at 20 weeks. And so I was hospitalized for an extended period of time. But I'm very thankful that I had those doctors available to me to be able to bring my children to term or close to term. Um, and they did great.
0: Great. Super. But still, during this whole period of time, how are they treating you?
1: There's really no treatment. Um, the only way to control it is you control it by diet. Uh, you also can control it by high levels of opiate pain medication because the level of pain from a pancreatic attack is just extreme. Um, I equate it. it's For me, it's my 10. It's the highest um, level of pain I've ever had. But it feels as if someone has put a very wide belt around your rib cage and is pulling that belt as tight as it possibly can go while at the same time someone's pouring acid down your esophagus and stabbing you with a knife all the way through your rib your rib cage out through your the front that's what it's like when you have pancreatitis it's um it's absolutely excruciating you can't speak um it's incredible immobilizing pain
0: I mean, what, what went through your mind during that period of time? I, I mean, I, I know, you know, when I was first diagnosed with a mask, My diagnosis came because, you know, I went to see doctors about extreme neuropathic pain in my feet and my shins, a pain in the side, a little pain in my face. I had trigeminal neuralgia and, you know, doctors did prescribe for me a regimen of opioids that literally I started eating like candy to the point that I literally almost shut my liver down and kidneys down and, you know, I, I I really a couple of times was throwing my hands in the air because it was like I don't know what am I supposed to do here. It wasn't until I had a doctor, um, a a Western-trained uh, a doctor from a, a, an unbelievable institution in the United States said to me, "Look, you know, I know what you're doing because at the time I was basically doctor shopping, so I was, you know, getting you know some." One set over here and there's another set, ultra sets over there, percocets over there, Vicodin over there. I was literally trying my best to get as much as I could because I was, you know, um, you know, when they said take two, I was taking five. Sometimes I would take six, seven to go to sleep at night. Um, and a, a doctor who was a close friend of mine and, and again, who was seeing, I was seeing said, I know what you're doing. I know you're doctor shopping and you know, I've reached out to all the doctors. I know that wrote a script in the last three months and they won't write you anymore. And I'm not writing you anymore because uh, you're going to shut your kidney down. You're going to shut your livers down. And he said to me, but look, I heard something about it. this is back long time ago, long before it became Vogue, long before anybody was ever talking about it, I'm talking about back in 19 or really, no, the year 2000. Um, he said to me, I've heard about this weird kind of.'" marijuana. I don't know what it is. It's B C B something. I don't know. That's exactly how I said it. It's CBCBC something. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you're a smart guy. Why don't you research this and figure it out yourself? But I bet you, you might find some relief from using cannabis. And, and he said marijuana at the time. And I started my journey back then. That was like in 2000. And I had probably been a, you know, a recreational user only because not, and I I don't believe I was ever a recreational user. I was using because I realized there was something different about that experience than the opioid experience. And so, yeah. you know, when I started digging into why, then I realized things like number one, that the federal government had already issued itself a patent on cannabinoids and especially CBD. And nobody was talking about CBD back in 2001, 2002, I was hunting down CBD in Northern California and literally found a grower who just said, I, I grew this whole batch of stuff and it came out with all this extra CBD, in know, you want it? I was like, yeah. So, I mean, I got a, a fairly large load. I, I should say, you know, I, I won't talk about how much I had to transport across the country, but <laughs> I got a large load of keef That was a very high CBD um, laden plant. And that's what really started me on my cannabis journey. How did you transition from being on opioids and having your doctors prescribe those to you and say, wait a minute, I heard the cannabis might help. Where did that come from?
1: You know, it was similar. It was a, a doctor who also very renowned medical doctor um, in the United States, who also happened to be from Israel, thankfully, who who said to me, look, your your pancreas is done. Um, if I look at your pancreas, I think it should be removed. Uh, the life expectancy for having no pancreas is not good. Um, and why don't you try cannabis? And I was surprised. I had not been a recreational user. Um, I'm what year
0: is this? About what year is this?
1: This was in 2013, so it was a number of in and out of the hospitals, uh, lots of hospital stays, um, surgeries, trying to fix this, uh, living like a zombie, living with all of the levels of opiate. Um,
0: and, you know, when, and when you say that, though, what, what really kills me, and especially nowadays, when you listen to. You know, politicians and others who try to refute the efficaciousness of cannabis, they always say, Well, we need to have a little bit more research. I wish that there's more research was done than I could probably see. I feel like smacking them, reach right into a television and smack them because you know we know for a fact that our taxpayer dollars went to funding the research that that doctor from Israel was talking about. Uh-huh. You know, we found research in Israel in the 80s and the early 90s, and Dr. Mashulam was writing papers. Then identifying the endocannabinoid system, identifying all the uptake, you know, uh, nerve endings that were there that were actually receiving cannabis, cannabis, plant-based cannabis, actually helping to antagonize our own system to form more of our own endocannabinoids. All that research was there. It was out there. And so, you know, um, and even there had been research papers already written, peer-reviewed research papers already written on the effect of cannabinoids with pancreatic cancer. Yep. And, you know, and take a look at, you look at what's going on right now in Israel, I think that, what, in the last five months, there has been at least two peer-reviewed papers that have come out of, not Israel, sorry, Australia, that has confirmed that cannabinoids have a effect on the replication of pancreatic cancer cells.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what they're seeing in pancreatic cancer research with can- cannabis is absolutely astounding it is actually killing the tumor cells and you know pancreatic cancer people don't find out about it until it's very very far along
0: Correct. forcing them the cells not to replicate so we know that there's so much information out there that must have driven you a little crazy so when he said i think that you might find some relief from cannabis did he offer you anything to read or did he say just go figure it out yourself
1: Yeah, figure it out yourself, Um, which unfortunately is the way our medical system is now. It's getting a little bit better, but um, there isn't a lot of education out there for doctors. And, you know, with diseases that are not very well funded, you're not going to have a lot of research into those. Um, And I was very lucky that I was one of those people that was going to go out and do the research. But there are people that are recommended this product that don't have the research available to them in easily digestible chunks, right? I was also lucky because my twin is a molecular biologist um, and understands the scientific qualities behind things and really helped walk me through the science behind cannabis and it works. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, those peer review type studies matter, but the anecdotal matters even more to me. The fact that I can sit here, be working, not be on federal disability anymore, um, not taking opioids, not experiencing constipation, bone loss, the absolute brain fog that I was experiencing with opiates, um, and have a normal conversation and be able to have a career at the same time is life-changing for me. I, at the time I was diagnosed, and I'm, I don't know if this was similar for you, but I was so angry at my body for kind of betraying me. Absolutely. And it took me a while to. Change my mindset around that, and keep putting one foot forward every day and and stay focused on why am I here? What's my purpose? Um, why did this happen to me? There had to be a reason why this happened to me. For a long time, I thought it was my kids that it was so that I could be here for my kids and to not work so that I could focus on them. And ultimately, maybe that was part of it, but I think it was to bring me to cannabis
0: well, you know, I, I, I look back at at my diagnosis and recognize that, You know, I'm so lucky that the doctor had said this earlier on in my prognosis because it forced me back in 2001 and 2002 to dig deeply. I mean, I started, you know, back then we didn't have the same Internet that we have today. And, you know, I mean, there was there was library visits. There were papers that I was grabbing from here, there and everywhere. Um, just to read and you know I, I've got an engineering degree from the Naval Academy so I do like to research and dig into things and so I started digging into this plant long before it became vote. That's part of the reason why I started my advocacy across the nation from you know New York to Connecticut to Massachusetts to New Jersey to Maryland, Delaware Pennsylvania, Florida, you know Arizona, California uh, uh, I, I, I literally either testified or written articles for, You know op-ed pieces and papers across the country trying to ensure that doctors recognize that patients patients should have access to an efficacious medication that our own government believes is efficacious enough to give itself a patent for Yep. so you know um i i i I turned my mind kind of turned into yeah i was angry with my body but i became angry at our government i became angry at our politicians i became angry at our doctors I mean, how dare you? I think, you know, one of the things that uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta will confirm is that, you know, I called him out on a Pierce Morgan show before he ever did his first special on cannabis about the fact I said, literally, how dare you? How can you be a doctor and not even understand the research behind what works? I mean, you're sitting here talking about cannabis doesn't work and saying that there's no information. What a lie that is. And you know, it is when our taxpayer dollars spent, paid so much for so much research in places like Israel and Spain and other places around the world, yeah. acknowledging the value of this plant. And even to today, I mean, I, I literally feel like every now and then I shouldn't say it this way, cause I'll probably get the secret service to come and hit me upside <laughs> the head. I wouldn't smack the president, but I mean, how dare him say that we still think cannabis is a gateway drug, a gateway drug, my ass. How dare he and the, and the, 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 the vice president say we're going to change the laws we're gonna work very diligently and providing good legislation in the first 10 months of our, our tenure in office, and they haven't done a thing when it comes to cannabis. They so, haven't done a thing. Okay. I keep
1: wondering with the Roe versus Wade issue if cannabis will start becoming more to the forefront as a distraction from that.
0: Oh, let me let me let me just tell you, I did a speech about this um and had a discussion about this, oh, three weeks ago. I'm speaking at I know you're very tied into and we can talk a little bit about it in a minute, about the uh, cannabis science uh, conference that's going to be taking place next month. I'm one of the keynote speakers at that um, next month. And oh, I'm going to have a really serious part of my speech talking about the fact that, yes, I'm so happy that there are so many doctors, let's look at the facts. I mean, over the course of the last 10 years, there have been 35,000 peer-reviewed published documents, published worldwide on yeah. cannabis and its efficaciousness. In a myriad of modalities, in the last year and a half, over 3,500. So that is makes cannabis the most researched drug on the planet. More research on cannabis than it is on something that's in your medicine cabinet. That if you turn a blind eye to your children playing around in that cabinet, they take a half a bottle of they could be dead on your kitchen floor. And that's something called aspirin. Okay, and so there's more research been done on cannabis than been done on alcohol. Um, and and there's more being done. And I applaud all the scientists that are out here trying their best to figure out if they can get a Nobel Prize for discovering something that hasn't been discovered yet. But none of this, all of it will be moot if we continue to allow this wave of hate, hate
1: and that is what it is,
0: correct, to drive the social narrative. If this is a country that can literally smack in the face. Every justice that has stood at the Supreme Court for the last 50 years and overturned Roe versus Wade, how quickly do you think that they can overturn any statute that has anything to do with cannabis? Any, so quickly. How, I mean, I've, I've said this over and over again, how dare we think that a government that gave itself a patent would not turn around and say, I'm going to exercise that patent, especially since they've extended it. So what if tomorrow the federal government says, "Um, excuse me, anybody selling cannabis that has any CBD in it whatsoever, you are violating our patent. So therefore, knock it off, or we will send you to jail." Excuse me, every dispensary in America closes. Yep, you can't compete with that. If the Fed says it's ours, we're the only ones that are going to do this. It's going to be epidiolex or nothing. Then don't bother this industry that has been so. And I, I have, I have. You know, as as many positives to say about this industry as I have negatives, because I'm so sorry. I think that we spend so much time trying to figure out B2B and how to be, you know, the biggest multi stakeholder, rather than giving a damn about what started this and that was when patients were being dragged out of their homes in Northern California's on gurneys with IVs in them because they were growing two plants in their backyard. Yep. People have forgotten where this began. Where did this whole journey start? It started with patients. Didn't start with. You think
1: it use. all is patience, right? I mean, I think even if you are taking it to go to sleep, if you're taking it so your mind doesn't raise for anxiety, Absolutely. for health, for wellness. I mean, it is, it, it's a wellness product. It is medicine.
0: It drives me nuts when I hear the whole argument about adult use or recreation. I feel like saying that that's another thing that this industry needs to stop. We need to, we don't need to jump aboard you know, some some banner that some politician has told us to say because they think that might be more, you know, uh, uh, inclusive or, or, or more people will jump on the bandwagon. No, I think we've we got to recognize and start saying unequivocally that anybody who gravitates towards cannabis over any other form of social medication or gravitating for some underlying medical reason, even if they won't call it that. If you want to come home from work and relax by smoking a joint, that is medication. It's yep. easing your anxiety. It's helping you relax. If you want to use cannabis because you want to make it makes you sleep better, that's a medication. If you're using it because you just want to be able to relax and and chill, that's a medication. So I think, or that's a medical reason. So I don't believe that this whole idea of adult use should even be bantered around anymore. I think we need to stop that. We need to go back to the drawing board and recognize the fact, why is the pharmaceutical industry so successful at what they do? They advertise all day long Throw it in your face all day long. Here's a drug, here's a drug, here's a drug. So they educate the consumer. So the consumer goes and asks the doctor, Hey, have you heard about XYZ? And the doctor says, No. Then the next thing you know, there's a sales rep knocking on his door. The sales rep's there, I got this for you. Now he's, he's breaking himself off a piece, making a little bit extra money by pushing a drug that the pharmaceutical
1: company has pushed. The pharmaceuticals were, companies were very smart in the way that they were advertising it. They actually created a fifth vital sign for the, the entire medical practice. It didn't used to be that when you went to the hospital, they would ask you your pain level and they mandated it for the hospitals that you had to ask for pain. What was the pain level? And if you were experiencing any pain, they had to provide you with a relief for that pain, whether or not that pain was something that actually was bothering you at all.
0: Right.
1: So, I mean, kudos to them for marketing, but we addicted a lot of people to a product that they didn't need instead of teaching them that there's safer alternatives that are not going to shut down your respiratory system. And But I I hold us, you know,
0: come on, I'm so sorry. I, I could have bought this back in 2010 when the industry was just fledgling. I could have bought this back in 2013, 14, when it was fledgling, but we've spent less time as an industry attempting to educate the masses than we have trying to see if we can get another footprint in another state. We need to knock this off. I mean, the fact that we have such draconian, stupid laws. I mean, I, the laws that are are, are on the books in, in, in this multi-state universe of cannabis are as ridiculous as they come. The fact that I have had to have separate packaging in Massachusetts than I do in California, separate, lab, separate labeling. I can't label my CBD product the same as I label my... My TAC product—they have to have two different names. It means they have to have two different boxes. It means they have to serve two different. Stop the stupidity!
1: I mean, we have to do environmental impact statements for all of our applications, but the regulations are mandating that we put it in so much packaging that it's not sustainable. That's it is
0: absolute. You know, I I, I launched the product in Massachusetts after having already had products in the marketplace in California and having to go through one whole uh, uh process of getting you know childproof packaging and labeling, you know, California, Oregon, two different ones, Nevada, different one, Arizona, different one, then going into Massachusetts now, different ones. Now I've got childproof packaging that is so childproof that it's adult proof because you can barely open a damn thing. You know mm-hmm. you end up tearing up a box and then now you have trash that's got to get thrown away and 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 multi-levels of trash. It is it's ridiculous. And and then even, you know, I, I recently did a you know, 10 dispensary tour of some facilities that were carrying my product in Massachusetts and, you know, just watch the whole process of the patients coming in, buying and leaving. And, you know, they got to go through four or five steps. I got to look at your ID card at the counter. And then once I look at your ID card at the counter then I put your packet, put your product in a bag, then I have to staple it four times, make sure it's, or if it's, if doesn't mistake, two times, at least four times, got to staple it, then I give it to you in a white bag and you have to walk it out and you can't open the bag until you get in your car and go home and I'm thinking, well, excuse me, I can walk right down the street and go to CBS and get the strongest opioid I want. They just put it in my hand. If I'm taking my hand on with the bag, that's okay. Stick sticking in my pocket. Yep. I don't care.
1: How ignorant is this? I have my dispensary, not my dispensary. I wish my dispensary delivered, but my pharmacy delivers my opioids. Yes. No problem. Right to my door.
0: Absolutely. Same here. I, I, get, I, I just had a delivery this afternoon of a pharmaceutical that I needed to have. And and it's not going to come in some some, you know, uh, uh, childproof extra outer wrapping. It's a box. Just open a box up. There's my drugs right there. So it's it's really kind of uh, uh, ignorant. I'm just hoping that, you know, at some point in time. And that's part of what I also want to kind of talk a little bit about at the you know National Canada, uh, the science uh, conference is that, you know, first off, I mean, we we are not doing ourselves a favor by trying to individually get Nobel Prizes. Stop, stupid. It's time right now to recognize we got it. There's gonna be breakthroughs, somebody's gonna get an award, who cares? At the end of the day, if we were all working together and making sure that every bit of published data gets out there, there is nothing that blocks us from educating on cannabis in any state that has a cannabis law. You can't educate on individual products, but I can educate from here to eternity on cannabis itself. I can hold a a conference, a free conference and say, boom, anybody wants to show up, come on out. I want to talk to you about what cannabis does. I can do that. There's nothing wrong with that, speaking about that, as long as I don't say, oh, and then go buy XYZ product. No, I can't do that. I get it. That's fine. If they want me to just not do that, I won't. But there's no reason why we should not be providing the information. When something is, is published, And something as powerful as the fact that right now we know for a fact that, you know, uh, some of the monocannabinoids are blocking the spike protein on the SARS virus from entering our cells. That is fact. That's not, you know, something that's an opinion. That was a studied, peer reviewed, released document that it seems that some monocannabinoids actually do block the replication of the COVID virus. Wow! Come on now, and how about the fact that we are starting to see more and more anecdotal information to come out about the fact that people who uh, seem to be consuming larger quantities of CBD and some of the other cannabinoids have literally lessened their chance of getting COVID. Yeah. Why aren't we talking about that when we're getting ready to face another outbreak here in a country and people are going to be going back to wearing masks and fighting each other because they're too stupid to recognize that masks protect them? You know. Right. I just don't get it. Um.
1: It's really bad. And education is the basis of this industry. We need it. We need more of it. We need more people willing to do it. Um, we did a lot of that at both of the MSOs that I worked for, but it's still never enough. Um, never enough. Coming it from an individual angle, right? You're coming it from a, the mindset of a multi-state operator or from a dispensary. Um <laughs> Patients out of time does a great job. Canada science conference has been trying. We really do need to pull together. I'd love to see a journal of Canada science come out like, um, like the AMA.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, normal just stuck out, put out a a, a document that uh, covering a lot of the published uh, papers over the last year. So, and, you know, but again, each individual organization that is, is pushing you know, instead of working together, we seem to try to be working against each other. And and this industry is never gonna get there unless we all recognize that a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, maybe you can share though with some of our viewers, you know, just what kind of relief did you find from using cannabis? Let's go back to the first time you tried it and you tried it to see if it would help you ease your pain. What did you feel?
1: Um, one, I, the first dose I took was a very high level of CBD to THC. So what I felt was, one complete relaxation, um, which I wasn't used to living in a relaxed state. When you're in um, extreme pain all the time, you tend to be very, you know, kind of tense and you're always guarding and making sure that you don't move a certain way to cause a certain type of pain. And I immediately relaxed. It, it took a little bit, um, a couple weeks to get to where I was actually feeling t- um, pain relief and adding in THC helped to do that. Um, but the difference was incredible because what I didn't have was the inability to communicate. I didn't have the, the very high level of psycho reactivity that I had with with the opiates. Um, and I it was the first time in decades that I felt, normal or just calm and existing. It was a wonderful, a wonderful feeling.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's a, that's, that's, that's for some of our, our, pain sufferers who watch the show. I, I really wanted you to, to talk about that a little bit because, you know, you, you kind of nailed it. It's something that I've said over and over again, you know, though cannabis And my journey with cannabis has been a roller coaster in a way. There was a time in the early days where CBD, higher CBD seemed to be what my solution was. But then I started realizing that that wasn't working as well. And then I started adding in THC and then it seemed to be the higher THC with CBD in there together. They work together synergistically, but I, I shifted over to a higher THC and then I shifted back to kind of like a one to one, and then I shift it back now, where I'm, you know, a little bit higher of a THC, but still I I make sure that I'm saturating my body with CBD every day. So I take a, you know a tincture with CBD, and I increase that you know every day, um, and that seems to work for me. That's the one thing about cannabis that you know one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, um, you we need to understand that. It's, it's it's up to the individual. You can't go to a doctor, and you know it just blows my mind. Well. When doctors say, well, if we had a delivery system where I could know exactly how to dose you, and I feel like saying, stop, to, excuse me. You don't know how to dose me when it comes to, should I eat two shrimp or four shrimp? Do you know how to dose me when I eat you know, four ounces of steak or six ounces of steak? Do you know how to dose me when I eat eight ounces of vegetables or 12 ounces of vegetables? No, you don't. So don't try to see if you can figure out how to dose me, let me figure out how to dose myself. That's the reason why I created the products that I've created um, that I have now in the marketplace and in Massachusetts. I'm, I'm one of the only people in the country that is literally utilizing, you know, hemp based CBD, cannabis THC and proprietary hemp based terpenes all in the same vape pen That's at right. formulations so that, each formulation is there for a specific reason. I have a, a formulation that is 95% THC and 5% CBD with, with some terpenes on top. I have one that's 50-50 with some different terpenes on top, and I have one that is 90% CBD and only 10% THC with different terpenes on top, all of which elicit a different response. It's an energy, or a, a calmness, and a chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did so so that the patient, could literally titrate themselves. You know, if in fact they needed a higher THC because they want to go to work and be able to think very clearly, I've got that, but I put enough CBD on top of that to kind of take that anxiety off that you get from having too high of a THC. And then the terpenes that I employ with that are ones that actually help to modulate energy. And these are terpenes that have been proven and been around for, you know, we've known about terpenes, not just hemp-based terpenes, but vegetable terpenes since
1: we realized that terpenes existed in every plant on the planet. And terpenes are very important for patients to to pay attention to, especially in our multi-state environment where you have no ability to to get the same product from state to state. Right. So right. if I use a certain product in Maryland and it has like, I like very high level of linalool, high mercy and high pining. Um, if I know the per terpene profile that works for me, then I can go to another state and look for terpene profiles in a different product that may not be made in the state that I live in, but will give me a similar effect to what I'm looking right. for.
0: Correct. Glad right. you know it's very interesting. That's that's uh you just almost uh, identified my um chill or I'm sorry, my calm, which is mm-hmm. is no sorry, my chill formulation, the 50-50, and my uh, you know, energy formulation. I have a lot of linolul, I have beta carolophline, I have pinene, and those things that are help to keep you in a more of an active feeling, but actually very, very clear with the euphoria that you get. So I, I literally worked a little bit uh to develop that out that way so that again, and then made it so that each time a patient takes an inhalation, they can literally modulate the euphoria that they want along with the pain relief that they want by just adding just a little bit at a time. I'm one of big believers in slow as you go, so oh. slow as you go, take your time and you don't have to worry about getting blasted in a second. And I think more and more people are starting to recognize that. We're starting to see that across the board more and more because I launched in Massachusetts and uh, I think we sold out in wholesale in like less than an hour because then, and we've had a couple of dispensaries that are literally chomping at the bit to reorder already because, um, you know, they sold out the product because patients are coming and looking for something that allows them to take control rather than the cannabis taking control. That's right. You went back to work after having taken some time off after you now shifted over to using cannabis and uh, you decided to enter the industry. I mean, was was that a conscious thing where you're saying, I'm definitely going to make sure I share my knowledge with others?
1: Yeah, it was very conscious. Um, at the time, I was I was not practicing as an attorney. I had a law firm with my husband, but I didn't do much work there. He did all of it. Bless him. He's an incredible man. Um, but I was nervous about whether or not my license would be taken away as an attorney. Could I practice in the cannabis industry without, you know, being a foul of my my state laws because I'm barred in Maryland and D.C.? Um, So I did a bit of research on that and was a little bit nervous and then found out that it was fine. Um, And then right in 2013, when I was doing it, when I was exploring entering into the space, Maryland passed its medical cannabis law, and I thought, this is this is a sign to me, this is happening in my state where I need it. And more people need to hear what I've gone through, what I've been experiencing so that I can help people have access to this plant and also so that I can help people get licenses. And ultimately decided to go after my own license in Maryland and uh, won a dispensary license in Maryland, built that dispensary and sold it to a multi-state operator. And then went inside of that multi-state operator for, um, as their chief experience officer and chief compliance officer. That first multi-state operator was an advocacy-based company. It was formed by advocates. Um, In fact, one of the, the president of the company started Students for Sensible Drug Policy. He worked for, um, it was either a normal or marijuana policy project, but decades of advocacy on behalf of the plant. Um, And it fit very well with, the the how I believe we should be working with the plant.
0: You had been the uh, CEO of, of Women Grow. What is that?
1: I was. So Women Grow um, is a female-centric um, cannabis group. It, the intention when it was started back in 2014 was that to provide more access to females in the C-suites and in regular cannabis industries. At the time, We were at 33% of the positions in the C-suites of um, cannabis companies. We are now at eight. I know. Well,
0: you know, and you mentioned Maryland. I'll tell you, I've literally uh, been involved with a company in Maryland for a while now. It's been in and out of court a couple of times. I just think that's probably one of the most jacked up states in the nation when it comes to implementing you know their cannabis regulations because I think they got caught with a good old boy network for a while there, giving out licenses to the wrong people and and actually, you know, doing as little as they could to be as equitable in the space as they could be. And even now today, after having been called out, caught and 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 light shined on it, still hasn't really figured out what it's doing yet. Are you working to correct some of the deficiencies in Maryland or
1: pretty much everywhere? I don't know that any state has done it right yet. I mean, Illinois, I thought was going to, I had great hopes for Illinois, but boy, did they not roll it out well. Um, maybe New York with giving access initially to prior felons, um, in the way that they've done, I think maybe that's a little better model for social equity. We'll see. Um, I think it's difficult because even with the social, when you talk to social equity people like myself and others, um, it's it's hard to get the definition of what is it. What does social equity look like? How should we fix it? Um,
0: well, I mean, I I, I I would say, and and I, I know you're in a powerful position to be able to to you know at least bring up discussions in boardrooms that a lot of people aren't allowed into. Um, you know. I, It's almost as if the industry is almost embarrassed to say and tell the truth, but we know that since 1937, 80% of the people who have gone to jail, served time in jail, are people of color. Let's just jump to the chase, period. And to have an industry where less than 7% of the people who are involved in an industry that's selling products to people of color are people of color. So- I mean, if this industry was going to do anything at all, the industry would try to figure out how to write that ship to begin with. And I agree with you, you know, people who are, and and the right there by writing that ship, by allowing people of color in, you are automatically already allowing in probably the largest disenfranchised group in this whole process into the process. Yeah. Um, but there just seems to be, you know, there's the way that's the old boy, good old boy, American way is to, you know, block anybody that you don't want, that doesn't look like you in the C-suite. So, I mean, what's the most exciting thing about the industry that you see today?
1: Gosh, there's, I mean, there's so many things about it. I think we're seeing professionalization. I think we're seeing more mainstream companies willing to enter the space. Um, I just joined a company called Carney, which is a, um, as an advisor, which is a large white Glove management consulting firm that's looking to help professionalize the industry and um, bring more structure to it. I would love to see more movement on federal legalization, federal governance, federal anything. um, So that
0: with with that in mind, I mean, you say you'd like to see it, but what do you, crystal ball? What do you think, uh, and when do you think the Fed's going to do something?
1: Um, I think we're far away. I think we're five years. Maybe SAFE Act um, will pass, perhaps, in this legislative year. I don't know. Um, I think giving access to banking, access to money will help. um, But it's not the only answer. We need lots more activity by the federal government. um, Or just say hands off, one of the two. Just let us compete with the rest of the world and bring some equality to this situation. I mean, we as cannabis companies are paying like 72 cents on every dollar to the federal government. It's not like they're not benefiting out of this.
0: Absolutely. When you, when you think about it, that 72 cents out of the legal market, um, you know, and last year alone, the legal market uh, sold close to $26 billion worth of product. Yep. 24 something, but twenty-four eight billion billion worth of product. Um, and you know, we estimate that's probably a third of what the full sales were because if you look at the grand illicit market, um, they participated even stronger, especially in places like California, Arizona, you know, and lots of states across the country, the, the illegal market is, is as robust or even more robust than the legal market. It's uh, because it's
1: expensive. It's right. so expensive to participate in the legal market and in a medical market, people don't want to be on lists. Right. They don't want their name on something. Um, they want to be able to have access to their, their medicine, but they don't want to be on a list to get it. And you don't have to be on a list for opioids.
0: Right. Right. But but in a, in a sense, you are. You're just on a private list. That's <laughs> yeah. true.
1: They know where you are.
0: <laughs> they know where you are. OK, well, I mean, if you, th- if you say that, uh, again, some of the some of the most exciting things about the industry, what do you find most frustrating about the industry?
1: Um, Right now, I feel like we are fairly divisive in the industry, which kind of is mocking the whole world, I suppose. We're a little bit more divisive than we used to be. Um, I would like to see the industry come together as a whole uh, to really propel the education point further um, and to have social equity not be a talking point. It is a talking point, but when you look inside of these companies, I don't see any type of plans to actually make changes internally within those companies to make social equity a priority in what they're doing. Some, but not most.
0: And that's that's literally an issue in our nation for every industry, not yep. just cannabis, but every industry. You know, What are you most passionate about when it comes to cannabis?
1: I am passionate in helping other people alleviate their medical conditions in the way that I have been able to do. Um, I think I've been very lucky to have been given the opportunity to do what I'm doing in this industry, but also to be able to live in a healthy fashion. Um, It completely changed my life.
0: What do you think of patients in states that don't allow for medical cannabis? What do you think that they should know or what they should try to do right now?
1: I'm never going to advocate for you to break federal law. However, there is a thing called medical refugees. I know many, many people who have left their states because of their children or themselves and moved to Colorado, California, Oregon, places where they can find more education about the products that can help them. Um, And if you are in one of those states that doesn't have access to cannabis, really do think about doing that medical refugee, bit it's, I can't imagine how hard it is. I know families that are just completely taken apart and split because of it, um, but potentially it could save your life or your child's life or your husband or wife or partner's wife and life. And it's, it's worth it. It's worth that step to live a better quality of life. I existed for years. I didn't live.
0: And now you got your life back.
1: And now I live.
0: Anything else you want to add, Leah?
1: Um, follow the plant. Believe in the plant. Um, be a part of the movement to bring this plant to where back to where it's supposed to be. It's been a medicine for millennia.
0: Millennia. Before we go, I mean, uh, maybe if anybody wanted to get some more information from you, where do they go? Do you have a... a, a... Website? Do you have a, uh, you know, GoFundMe or do any any of those things?
1: You can go to my LinkedIn page, which um it's just Leah Heiss on LinkedIn, and and that is the best way to get in touch with me.
0: Okay, great for sure. Well, look, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you so much for sharing what you've been able to share, especially to some of our viewers who may be in a situation where they're suffering from pain and they need an alternative. It's, it's I always say, it, it's just you know, I'm not going to tell you that cannabis is the cure, but I'm going to say that it can be another medication that you have in your quiver. So it should be there in case you want to try it. So I got to thank you so much for being a part of the show. Anytime you want to come back, you have an open invitation here. Let us know what you're working on and um, let's stay in touch. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. It was good to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. Good to talk to you too. And thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.